Mino Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits, uh, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode of Safe Conversations, where we unpack our bags, we sit around the campfire, and we just talk. We talk about things that impact us all. And, and I always caution you, do not get it twisted. Just because it's safe doesn't mean we have soft conversations. We really go deep uh, with hopes that we can somehow try to find a way to move forward together. And so this evening, just like many other evenings, I am extremely excited to have our guest, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Rochelle Brackney. Hello there. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Hey, we're we just so happy and humbled you decided to stop by Safe Conversations and, and chop it up with us a little bit. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, I'm really excited about you being here. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but I want you just to start off by uh, telling us a little bit about your background, your family, your education, whatever it is you think the listening audience needs to know. Well, well thank you. You know what? Um, I, I jokingly say I'm one of six, so, you know, that can be a long conversation. That's all right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm one of six. Um, I'm, I have um, an older brother and then five girls in a row. So you can imagine my father's delight, and I'm going to air quote that. Um, as they continued to try to have another girl and then finally our boy and then finally quit. So um, I'm originally from Pittsburgh and um, I rep my 412, as I say all the time, hard. Um, believe in my city that I am from and, um, you know, grew up with like most, you know, black folks in the, in the 60s, you know, grew up in the inner city, grew up in very challenging circumstances. Um Grew up extremely poor and um, with parents who were often in violation of the law. They were interracial couple. My dad was was white and my mother was black, and they got together long before Virginia v. Loving um, mm. was legal. And in Pittsburgh, and particularly, although they may not have had specific laws on the book about interracial dating, they were very clear um, in that my parents could not get married in the Catholic Church. So I grew wow. up under those kinds of circumstances, understanding that race and poverty played a role in how we would be shaped and formed from that point on, as well as education. Um, my parents were both Catholic, mm -hmm. so we went to Catholic schools. Um, and I've got some nun stories for you, that's for sure. Um, and uh, that's how I started the, the earlier parts of my life and my career and eventually went back to school as a non-traditional student to finish my bachelor's, master's, and PhD work. Um, and we can announce, I just recently uh, was appointed as of this week as a fellow at Harvard. So I will be starting in Harvard in January yes. for the next year. So you're hearing awesome. it first on your podcast. Oh man, congratulations. God, I'm, I'm so humbled and, uh, and happy for you. Um, you are a decorated law enforcement executive, right? And a champion for justice, a champion for justice. So I, I think I would be remiss if I went any further without just pausing just to thank you for your service, right? The past close to 40 years in law enforcement? See, see I have to hit it that hard. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> okay, and, and your continued in your continued service. Um, but my question is, at what point 
did you know you would take this career path? Was it a childhood dream or did destiny somehow redirect you towards a career in law enforcement? So it, it was never a childhood dream. I didn't know anyone in law enforcement, although I had a very strong military family. So all of my family members are Marines. They're not former Marines. They're not ex-Marines. I have learned over the years they are still called Marines no matter where they are in their retirement trajectory. So um, very much in the military. And none of them were, though, in the MPs. They okay. still didn't do law enforcement there as well. And as a, a female um, growing up in the, in the 60s, there was no such thing as encouraging women to go into the criminal justice profession, either as police officers, probation officers. Um, if anything, maybe we were in the missing child divisions or mm. there was some social work aspect to it. So there was never any dream to do that. Um, I love to argue as one of six children and was in the middle child. So I actually wanted to be an attorney is okay. what I um, had wanted to do. So I had felt this connection um, for championing rights of individuals and just really arguing points. Um, and it may have just been something rebellious in me as a middle child. You try and find a way to either fly below the radar or, or make yourself known in some ways. So my debate skills were uh, beyond beyond uh, the average of debate skills. And also I was small in stature. So I was a little, I was tinier. And so I was not one who was very physical, wasn't a fighter. So I would talk you out of a fight. Like we would talk <laughs> out of this. I probably would have been right. great. Um, very early on on the debate stage <laughs> because I, a sister was not about being physical right. when she was when she was growing up. But eventually, after just you know my mother bringing home civil service applications, mm -hmm. um, understanding that the civil service jobs in the early '80s were those secure jobs. They had pensions, right? You yeah. could have health care. They had strong unions, which was considered a plus back then mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh which is a heavily unionized um, place. And I, I fell into it. I, I did not. And once I fell into it mm -hmm. and graduated from the academy, something just clicked like this was where I was supposed to be and stayed in it for 38 more years. Yeah, that's awesome. We have a, we have a lot in common. Uh, as I hear you talk, uh, you talked about your hometown and how you grew up poor. Um, I was born in Harlem. And I lived there until I was 10 years old. And uh, we, we lived in the, in the projects on the 14th floor. In addition to that, went to Catholic school, me and my older brother. And, uh, you know, I remember everybody was there in terms of, you know, ethnicities and different groups. And we found a way to make it work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everybody got along. We didn't know any better. You know what I'm saying? We we made it work. And if we stepped out of line, the nuns would show up with the rulers and game, game over, <laughs> game <laughs> over. But uh, we do have a lot of common. But one thing we do not have in common is I got a sneaky suspicion that you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And I am a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. And uh, I'm not going to hold that against you, but I just wanted to clear the air and, and, and put that out there on the table and just be done with it. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest. And um, so back in the 70s, when we called them the Cry Boys, right? Mm. Cowboys, and, mm. you know, there was this rivalry between Pittsburgh and the uh, Steelers and the Dallas mm -hmm. Cowboys. There might have been an issue. 
But, you know, that rivalry has long passed. True. You know, I got to throw up props to Dak, you know, uh, Prescott. Brother gets it done. Yeah. So I've got to throw up that. So we might be okay. Now, if you would have said you were a Baltimore or a Cleveland or Cincinnati or Mm -hmm. New England Patriots, we Mm might have had a problem. But I'm going to let you go ahead and ride with the cry cry boys for a little longer. You know, and I've never heard that term, the cry boys. That's going to like stick with me all season this year, the cry boys. That's crazy. So, like I said, your your career is heavily uh, decorated. Uh, we all know that at one point you were the chief of police at the Charlottesville Police Department. And that part of history, and I call it history, is heavily decorated. Uh, everyone knows that you you went there, you were hired after you, the, let me make sure I get it right, the Unite to Write. Is that correct? Did I say it correctly? Yeah, rally. the Nike Right Rally. Mm-hmm. Yes, in 2017, correct? And so as I, you know, was preparing for this evening just to have a conversation with you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking here, I'm looking here, I looked at your bio, um, and everything seemed to point to you being terminated, right? Without cause. Everything pointed to that. But Dr. Brackney, knowing about you, knowing how professional you are, knowing that you're a champion for justice and law enforcement. I want to talk about some of the positive breakthroughs that you made during your time in, in, in tenure as a police chief there. Some of the relationships you built. I want to talk about the positive, if you're okay with that. Yeah, yes. I mean, you should never let the world allow you to operate with a deficit mindset. Um, And this world will try and do that for us. And this world will try and define who you are and make you doubt um, Mm -hmm. the legacy that um, you've left. And so um, I started in Charlottesville. We want to talk about it from a mindset perspective that my legacy, like my inheritance in Charlottesville didn't have to be my legacy. So Mm -hmm. I inherited a system of patriarchy and racism and sexism Mm -hmm. and misogyny um, and violence and anti-black rhetoric and behaviors in that, and, and, you know, by police officers. So I went in there with a positive mindset Mm -hmm. as, as a person who comes from the North and you move down South central Virginia is very different than Northern Virginia that, DMV, uh, Mm. Arlington area, Fairfax is very different than once you come down to places where I had never heard of Louisa County or Mm. Nelson County and the names and of themselves, you know, they were built on the histories of the Confederacy. So, and and Charlottesville was too. It had a very strong history um, in connection with slave trades and Confederate, Confederate statutes which was what happened with the Unite the Right rally. There was a petition to take down these Confederate statutes and it all, neo-Nazis from all over the United States, very similar to what happened in January 6th, mm-hmm. showed up in Charlottesville, as well as the homegrown ones that are here. You know, we often like to think that everybody comes from out of town, right? right. Your, your bad cousins from out of town. Well, you got mm-hmm. some bad cousins living in town too. Right. So um, when I was brought in, I, I was brought in with a very clear understanding of a mayor who was extremely progressive, black female mayor. Um, first time they had ever had one had come out of the advocate and advocacy community, um, mm-hmm. activism community, strong ideas, 
um, Sister Mayor Nakia Walker. So you noticed Sister King with some ideas about what justice looked like right. and just the tensions about hiring a police chief. And I mean, we went to work to dismantle the system of supremacy here and the legacies, you know, that I would like to think that I put into place, even though they are being rolled back. Mm -hmm. um, there was an article that was just released today that many of the things I put in place under the new chief, who is a white male, are being rolled back. But here's the thing. Once you know what could be done, once you know better, you got to yeah. do better. That's right. So yeah. um, systems of accountability, internal mm -hmm. affairs, change the way we went about our entire internal affairs processes. I created what is called a Fourth Amendment analyst. It is the only one that exists that I know of in the nation, wow. in which we have an analyst who does nothing more than looks at every single stop and encounter mm -hmm. that our officers have with the community, reviews wow. all the body-worn camera footage, looks at all of the police reports, triangulates that with what they put across the radio or dispatch for, for individuals who aren't familiar with it. And we will determine beyond what the the prosecutors or district attorney's office would say, were these stops legitimate or justified? And that is unheard of. And yeah. we posted all of that on the websites that these sites, you know, whether officers were um, violating policies. We put our internal affairs uh, data on the website very different than anywhere else in the nation. Complete summaries of the cases are on the website. The, the race uh, and gender of the officers, the race and gender of the persons who made the allegations, every one of the violations, as well as the findings and corrective actions. So hmm. you can go and look at a single case and see a full scope of it, not just some data point that there was an allegation of right. verbal just, abuse. Yeah. You get the whole picture and the whole story. We did that for our use of force. We did it putting all of our policies on online. Um, it, any way we could be transparent, we, mm -hmm. we did it. And um, I took the 21st century pillars and promises that President Obama had put out after Michael Brown's death in that mm -hmm. commission and brought them to life in a real right. and meaningful way so that people who were most likely to be um, abused by the system could fight back, could fight back. Yeah. Are many of those initiatives still in place right now? No, they no. started, okay. they started to, to roll them yeah. back or they scaled them back. Um, right. So the policies are in place or internal affairs, it'll say a single line. Okay. Someone complained okay. of verbal abuse. Whereas huh. I put enough information that the complainant mm -hmm could then say very transparently, even though you couldn't identify the officer or the complainant, that what we were saying was true. That's right. Now you have no idea um, yeah. who is doing what. I have processes, you know, attempting to decertify officers. Mm -hmm. They're just not true. And as a matter of fact, the new chief made a statement that he heard a bunch of noise about mm -hmm. our officers when he arrived. And now that he's gotten here, that noise isn't, it's just not true. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah. Um, that when you can fire officers for excessive force, for sexual assaults, for domestic violence, for um, homophobic behavior, for circulating nude videos of women and of themselves, for making death threats against myself and other officers, that another person has a lens in which they can say, well, that's just a bunch of noise. Right. We're just being hard on our officers. Mm -hmm. So I am, I am hopeful that the community 
doesn't allow it to backslide, but so far, because yeah. what, now they know what can be done. Mm -hmm. You can hold folks accountable. Yeah. Did you get positive feedback from the community on some of the initiatives? Were they, were they happy and satisfied with the direction things were going? So I think what happens is, um, so internals from when I first arrived, there, there was just a lot of, again, things going on, right? This was a, a city that was reeling and they needed someone to take it out on. Mm. And oftentimes I was the focus of that, but I understood that that pain was raw. That pain was real. And just because you were bringing in someone who looked like me, you know, somebody who is mixed race that identifies as black has always been um, on the forefront of these initiatives to change the profession in a positive way. People don't want to hear it. Right. You know, they want to see it they and see. it takes a while to do it. And when you first, when I think they really understood what was happening is when my contract was terminated. And then mm. they started seeing everything right. falling back into place. Right. And then the champions come out of the woodwork. Yeah. You yeah. know, they come out of the woodwork from across the nation at right. that point. Yeah. Um, but sometimes we are just so anesthetized to how mistreated we are that when mm. we are treated um, in a way that is fair and just, it just, it just leaves us confused. Um, mm -hmm. or not understanding what's happening, or understanding that there really has been a change. So there were lots of positive supports um, in the community, a lot of champions in the community, a lot of good work um, that could and still can occur in Charlottesville and across the nation. We just have mm -hmm. to lean into it and be okay lean with um, the fact that we're going to have to give up some of our power to the community mm -hmm. and not try and hoard it ourselves. That's pretty important. Uh giving power to the community and working with the community. Um, so I imagine that, I know, well, I'll speak for my career. Every move that I've made, I've, I've had a seat at the table and I've talked to my leadership, right? Prior to agreeing to take the job. And I've asked, what do you want? What do you want? Because the last thing I want to do is go into a situation and I'm pulling one way and my leadership's put, you know, and we don't want the same thing. So I ask, what is it that you want? Hey, we want, we want reform, Kevin. We want to get closer to the community. We want this, we want that. And my follow-up question has always been, are you serious? Are you serious? Are we just trying to check a box or are you serious? So my question to you, Dr. Brackney, is did you have that conversation? Oh, absolutely had the conversations. Um, actually, I even go one step further. The The questions I always ask are, have you identified the barriers to me being successful? Mm -hmm. What do you see as those barriers that already exist that will make it difficult for me to be successful to meet the vision? And if you've identified those, what are the systems support, support systems you put in place, right? What is the support that you put in? So not only that, like, it's okay that you can identify a vision and it's okay to say, hey, listen, you know, are you serious? Mm -hmm. But the, to determine how serious they are, you'll ask them, I ask the follow-up questions. Yeah. What is it you put in place? And so what myself and the mayor and the, the team that hired me did not understand is that they alone could not um, they weren't going to be the slow drivers of this. Now, here's what's so interesting. In the three and a half years that I was the, the, 
the police chief there. There were six different city managers, hmm. 10 or so deputy city managers. The fire chief changed over, the public works changed over, the transit changed over. Like there was a communications directors, the city solicitor changed three times. Hmm. Wow. So there was a lot of turnover um, in the higher echelon. So as this is churning and churning and the council changes, the mayor is um, a mayor that is elected amongst the council persons. It mm -hmm. is not a popular or strong mayor system. Gotcha. So the person who has the ultimate authority is the city manager. So as yeah. the city managers keep changing, they're growing and grooming their own little cohorts of folks to the exclusion of the mayor who, uh, the people who hired me. Right. So when the city manager terminates my contract, he's only been there at that point, nine months, seven wow. to nine months, maybe. Um, and he'd come from Baton Rouge and mm. gave in to a system of supremacy and patriarchy yeah. that he was comfortable with. So wow. even though the questions were asked, even mm. though the, the playbook was laid out, Changed. Um, with that kind of change in turnover, there's just no way you're going to be effective um, at any of the work that you do. There was such instability, although the budget could support the work, although the capacity could be supported by the ideas and the infrastructure that I put in place within the Charlottesville Police Department. The problem was I was just being undermined and there was a tunnel being dug underneath me by players who had nothing to do with the department, right? The mm -hmm. union got heavily involved, got to them. There were recordings of my deputy you know, chief saying inappropriate things. They were being blackmailed. And so ultimately it was like, ah, oh, they decided in a few days to get to terminate my contract without cause. Yeah. So yeah, you can always ask the important questions, but you can't mm. always, um, you can't always account for those variables that you have no control over. Yeah, I'm glad you shine some light on that because that was that was like a gap for me. I, I had no idea about the incredible turnover you just talked about. That's a big deal, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like you said, you. You, you get hired, you get a playbook, and all of a sudden, the terminology changes. The, play, the entire playbook changes, and, and there's no real way for you to strive or survive. So thank you for that. And to your point, it's like being recruited by mm -hmm. the Steelers and then find yourself playing for the Cowboys. Like, who does that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So being a former detective, right, we would always look at cases sometimes, and I know you can relate to this, and try to figure out the triggering point. You know what I'm saying? What what triggering event caused this thing to happen? And so if you had to go back and 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 look at, and, and I'm sure you know right off the top of your head, but what was the triggering event that happened that made you realize, okay, things are going sideways? So I didn't see it at first. I mean, when it when it started to become apparent, um, but the triggering event started in June of 2021. I I received this email, literally this email is a complaint from a constituent who says, Chief Brackney, I've watched you for the past three years. You cannot know what's happening with one of your officers 
or else they would no longer be there. I've watched you terminate officer after officer. You're transparent. You're always, you know, on television. You're talking about these things. You know, I understand your politics. Everyone understood that I was extremely into um, progressive politics about the way that we police community, right? right? And so he attaches this video with it. Um, and this video is one of my corporals, who's also a field training officer, who is just going on about just how horrible the whole department is. He hates the department. It's crazy. Um, this is June of 2021 is when I get it. But the recordings are from the times of the um, pandemic and George Floyd um, rallies. And he's railing against those. And he's basically saying that he wants to get back to, like, he's tired of playing my games. He just wants to get back to the hood to do hood gangster. And he's recording this in full uniform in his car and apparently was circulating it amongst six other individuals, all supervisors, all white males, all part of the SWAT team. And I just start having my team investigate just this single video. And these were all city issued cell phones. So these are on city issued cell phones They that they're doing all of their work. So we issue them all cell phones. And when the investigation started, this one corporal we found out had close to 12,000 videos, naked women saying racist things um, about officers, his recruits, hazing their recruits, um, pictures of naked women they had just had sex with. Um, very homophobic things they're texting. We had to stop the investigation on three separate occasions to meet with the Commonwealth's attorney or the district attorney, whatever it is in your jurisdiction, because there were criminal behaviors there. Mm -hmm. Threats of violence, threats of child abuse, threats to kill other officers they thought were snitches, threats to kill me and let God sort it out. And Everything was going well until the union, asked, until I fired these white males who were all part of the SWAT team and disbanded the SWAT team. Like the whole team we had found was basically corrupt. It had yeah. been corrupted. It had a culture of corruption. Um, and when that happened, um, that's when the blowback came. Like, oh, you can do a whole lot of things, but you fire six white men from the SWAT team and down south and I am a black female that does it and I'm very public about what is occurring and that they're being terminated. Um, next thing I know, their police benevolence association, which is the equivalent of a union down south, like their mm -hmm. union, started targeting me, came up mm -hmm. with fake surveys, um, no confidence votes in me, all within a period of about 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, and next thing I know, I'm being told that we need to go in a new direction. Um, but you know what? I, what I will, will tell people, so I'll, I always knew, you said you were a detective. I, you know, I ran our major crimes division mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh. I ran our SWAT teams in Pittsburgh. I ran our um, hostage negotiations. I've held every position. Right. Um, but one thing though, is that whole trust and verify thing. I have been recording my city manager since the very first day we met. So all of the things that they're lying about, saying I'm just a poor individual, poor leadership, not capable, not confident. I have been recording my city manager the entire time. Virginia is a one-party consent state. Mm -hmm. So I had everything in recordings that literally earlier in the, the, the day, three days 
earlier, he's telling me I'm one of the best people. I'm one of the smartest people. I'm telling him we need to bring in the DOJ. Um, it's that bad. So I have that all on recording. And he's like, yeah, I think you're right. This is just bad here. And then the next thing you know, I'm terminated. We're going in a different direction. So, you know, call me, call me crazy. Okay. But, but <laughs> as, you know, all day, um, you know, all day I'm thinking, leading up to our conversation, you know what I'm saying? Because, I, you know, again, humble that you took the time to come on Safe Conversations. But I'm thinking of an analogy, right? And you tell me what you think about this. You tell me, I'm going to explain it to you, but you tell me if you think I'm on point, I'm off base. And if I am, put me where I need to be. When I look at your situation, it's almost like someone says, hey, I want you to come over here and clean up my house. I want you to clean my house, right? But I don't want you to go in the attic. I don't want you going in the basement and stay the hell out the closets. But I want you to clean it real, real. I mean, I want you to give it a deep clean, right? And as you're cleaning, you stumble on something in the closet that you can't walk away from. As you're cleaning, you're led down to the basement that you can't, you know, you see something you can't walk away from or you wander up into the attic and, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, game over. That makes sense to you? You know, actually, and I would, I would take this analogy even one step further. Okay. So you want me to clean the house, right? I'm the most qualified to clean the house, right? We mm -hmm. agree that everything we have in place, all the support is to do it. You want the basement clean. You want the attic clean. You want the closet clean. You don't want me to go in there, but mm. you want me to be held accountable for what's in there, mm. even though you don't want me in those spaces, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what a lot of police chiefs, particularly chiefs of color, are facing. You want somebody to clean house mm -hmm. until the blowback from people who don't look like me start to affect you know, your political standing in the community, the way they think about you, the dinner parties that you're invited to, the mm. church after gatherings that you go to, right? So they yeah. want that and you want people to be accountable for what's in that closet. You want me to 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 break up these, you know, cultures of violence and disproportionate and disparate treatment of mm. black and brown folks and communities. You, you want to, to, you say all the right things, the taglines. You have chiefs who are taking knees um, out in public facing after George Floyd with officers, right? They're out there mm -hmm. taking knees, but you didn't hear a single one of them get on air and say, you know what, pass the George Floyd and Policing Act. You didn't see any of them do those kinds of things. Like they're not having those kind of conversations. They're not saying come clean house and here are the tools to do it. So right. you're exactly right. The analogy is there and it's a strong analogy. The problem is, is authentically, you know, the system of policing and where it came from, its soil, its roots of slave patrols will never allow it to be a clean house. It is mm. always going to be a dirty house with a sordid past. And there's not enough sunshine and sunlight, legitimacy and trust that any one of us can build um, individually and in our departments. We're going to have to um, turn it over and think about it in a very, very different way. But your analogy is a strong one and it's an important one. Um, 
the problem is it, it, it will continue in Charlottesville and, you know, all across um, the nation because we don't want it. We really right. don't want it. Yeah. Hmm. That's deep. That's deep. So switching gears a little bit. Switching gears. I, I can do switch that. Gears a little bit. Uh, you know, I often talk about this marathon race, right? That we are all running. And, and, and sometimes I talk about Dr. King and how he ran his race. He ran his race knowing that he wasn't going to be the one to cross the finish line, right? And so when he was murdered, when he passed away, he passed that baton on to us, to people like us. For us to run, our, we all have a responsibility to run. How you run your race is how you run it, but we all have a responsibility to run our leg of the race. And so my question, Dr. Brackney, is when it's all said and done, what do you want people to take away? And, and I know that your race is not finished, but when it is all said and done, what do you want people to take away from the way you ran your leg of the race? So each morning, um, and actually I just happened to be looking at um, my mouse pad here. Um, so each morning I would start my day. Um, and I know we, a lot of people talk about their faith and their Christianity and things mm. like that, but I, I pray over my communities, right? I pray over my communities. Our communities are sick. Our communities need to be healed biblically. It says that to be true, that our, our you know, sin makes our, our, our communities ill. And so I would walk in every day and there's a Psalm, Psalm 78, 72. And it mm. says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful mm. hands. He led them that the work that I do, that every day I did it with integrity of heart. And someone made me a, um, a mouse pad that you can now see that wow. said just that, that, you wow. know, to remind me every day that the work that we do, mm -hmm. wherever that race is, however you run your race, run it with integrity of heart and with mm -hmm. the gifts and the skills and, and the talents that you've been uniquely given to run that race, yeah. but do it um, knowing every single day that the work that you do um, cannot be compromised. Mm -hmm. You you cannot compromise yourself, your values, your character, your integrity. And, and there's so much of that going on right now. Um, but I think that's what I like them to remember. Did she do this work with integrity? Yeah. And all the other things will flow out of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I love it. Uh... I caught a chill when you quoted the scripture just now, because I remember, you know, uh, I was a deputy chief of police and my police chief retired. So I was the interim police chief and there was a lot of mixing up, right? There's a lot of mixing up, a lot of controversy. And I remember one of my patrol sergeants came into the office one day and he said, chief, how do you come in here every day smiling? You never, we never see you angry. We never, the sky's never fallen. We make decisions that impact our workforce. You make decisions that impact the community. How do you come in here and smile every day with the weight of the world on your shoulders? And I was like, okay, cool. Fair question. 
I just I I just started smiling. I couldn't I couldn't help but smile. You know, I'm smiling. And I said, it's because my name is on the door. I'm assigned a call sign, but I'm I'm not in charge ultimately. I'm led by God. Yeah. I don't come up in here, you know, and, and I'm so I'm so glad you took it there because I don't, Dr. Bregney, if I'm going to speak to a group of kids and they're five years old, before I walk in that door, I said, dear Lord, you talk. Don't let Kevin mm-hmm. Waits talk. You talk. I want you to get every single time. But as a reminder of what you're talking about. And, you know, when I was a detective, I would say, hey, we had a, a homicide or whatever kind of crime, dear Lord. Help me solve this case so the family can have closure. Dear Lord, heal this community. And I'm telling you, it works. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It works. So I'm glad you took it there. I'm glad you took it there. Thank you for that. Yes, and it does work. You know, and again, you know, always be real careful. But I tell people all the time, I'm not that smart, right? These ideas aren't human ideas that you come up with in terms of innovative ideas and your 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 drive to do it differently like something moves you right um my my husband jokes me right um and my motto on my ipad would often say persist relentlessly Mm -hmm. like we are running this race relentlessly we cannot stop right the minute you stop the minute you don't care any longer um that literally can lead to someone's life or death force um, that leads to closure or not healing or not. Um, and so you're exactly right. I, I have prayed a whole lot of prayers mm-hmm. about the communities that I have been given to shepherd right. and right. um, whether it's the officers or the communities. And so, you know, the reason you can co- you can terminate my contract without cause, and who does that in this day and age, right? If they right. can fire a sister, you know they fire a sister, right? Yeah. But if you can co- if you can terminate my contract without cause, then what it is said is that God has protected me because it says people will come after your reputation and it'll fall away because of the way you lived your life, right? It'll all have been a lie. So, yeah. um, yes, I don't think we should be afraid to talk about that it takes a lot more than our human hands and understanding to yeah. do this work yes. at a time yeah. such as this. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm proud of uh, my daughter. She graduated from law school and she started a career as a uh, prosecutor. And now she's a city attorney and she was sharing an experience with me. Um, someone she came in contact with a uh, very uh, disrespectful and critical and just not nice. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people just aren't kind. Um, and, and I knew this person, but didn't want to taint that relationship. Wanted her to, to walk it out and find out, see things for herself. Never said anything. And she, she approached me one day. She said, dad, you know, I met so-and-so the other day, walked in the room, left three times, never spoke, never said good morning, welcome, nothing. And he finally speaks to her and he says, Well, I know your dad. I worked with him years ago. And I said to her, that's the problem. She said, what do you mean? I said, he's worrying about the wrong thing. He's worrying about who your daddy is 
but he needs to be worrying about who your daddy's daddy is. You see what I'm That's saying? True. And, and oh, we there. you know, so man, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yes. For yes. It and it, it's, it's, it's amazing what you pass on, right? Mm-hmm. Again, what your daughter will inherit and what mm-hmm. will be your legacy, right? That she is in a field, um, a helping profession and helping yes. field. Yes. You know, our daughter is a clinical mental health therapist um, oh, in wow. Pittsburgh. Congratulations. Um, adolescents, babies, wow. you know, pediatrics. Yeah. Um, so it is a, it is something about, you know, the way that our family is being uh, constructed. And my husband's a professor, specializes Service. in um, yeah. lynching, slave mm-hmm. narrative oh, wow. um, as well. So this is a household that is led, as you say, by your father's father. Come on um, now. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dr. Brackney, I thank you for so many things, but I thank you for not giving up and going away. I'm going to say that again. I thank you for not giving up and going away. You could have left, you could have walked away from the Charlottesville Police Department broken. You could have left broken. But it seems like this entire situation has made you stronger, made you and your family stronger. So, I wish God speed upon you uh, and your family as you continue to be a champion for justice. I, I thank you for standing up because, and I don't want to say it, you're not just standing up for yourself. And I really appreciate you uh, joining me on Safe Conversations this evening. Thank you. And I look forward to our next conversation. Um, as you now know, I'm hosting and relaunching Black Arm of the Law. It used to be Carl Anthony Payne's. Yes. Um, so I'm doing that and writing my first book, um, The Bruising of America, When Black, okay. White, and Blue Collide. Oh, wow. So I'm doing, doing that. And a professor just got promoted to a distinguished full professor at George Mason University. Awesome. Teaching a course in the fall called Policing Black Bodies. Come on. Um, challenging the system every step of the way. And I'm just humbled that you thought it was okay and safe to have the conversation with me. And it definitely wasn't a soft conversation. No, <laughs> no, sure. was not, was not. Thank but you. I thank you. If, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and they wanted to bring you into a conference or they wanted you to be a speaker, how would they contact you? I can be reached through George Mason University and okay. then... Um, Mean Old Lion Media, Black Arm of the Law. You can hit me up on Twitter, uh, Chief B underscore Seville PD. I'm not really hard to find. As I tell people, if you can't find me, you ain't looking. Come on now. I like that. Well, thank you so much again for being here. And I thank all of our listening audience for listening, not only in the country, but across the world. Uh, Until the next time, peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.